When reporters cover mass shootings, news outlets often struggle to find ways to cover the event that won't inspire others to do the same thing. Something similar follows in the wake of a suicide. Journalists don't always cover suicides in their communities, but when they do, one of the concerns is whether that coverage might lead to a spike in suicides after the story is out. The media's influence on the actions of individuals is a chronic concern for researchers in a number of fields and is a focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, former Chair of Media, Journalism and Film. Our guest today is Joel Greenhouse. Greenhouse is a professor in the Department of Statistics at Carnegie Mellon University. He's an elected fellow of the American Statistical Association, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and an elected member of the International Statistical Institute. Last year, Greenhouse co-authored a study examining the association between suicide rates in the U.S. and the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. The program centered upon the suicide of a teenage girl and recently released its final season. Joel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rosemary. Thanks for having me. So there were a lot of y'all on this paper on 13 Reasons Why. Could you talk a little bit about what made you want to study this show and how you went about doing it? Sure. Um, I've been involved with a collaborative group for a number of years, which has been interested in psychiatric disorders, mental health. And uh, in particular, we've been sort of following suicide and especially suicide in young children and adolescents. And so the lead author, Jeff Bridge, is a uh, psychiatric epidemiologist. And once the show released, he was familiar with what many of these issues that you actually laid out in the introduction and was waiting for the right time when data were available to actually do this analysis. Can you describe a little bit the, the data that, that you used and then, you know, some of the, at least at, at sort of at a broad level, what, what kind of analyses you did? Sure. The data actually is uh, freely available from the Center for Disease Control. There's a uh, database called Wonder which keeps track of different types of, uh, of um, outcomes like injuries and causes of death. And the reason we were waiting till uh, late fall of 2018 before doing this analysis was that there was a lag before they actually made available the monthly suicide rates for the previous year. So that's what, what, the, what we were waiting for. That's what the delay was. So the basic data set was... Um, Monthly, day, monthly suicide rates broken down by gender and by age. Uh, those were the, the sort of factors that are features we were particularly interested in. And then the, um, so those were the data. The approach was sort of a classic time series approach where we were following how the variation in suicide rates looked across time. And there are some interesting features to data like this. So one looks for seasonal trends, and in suicide in kids, there is a seasonal trend that's high during the school year, drops during the summer. And furthermore, over a period of time for the last five, six years, there's been an increasing trend in suicides in, in young kids. So we had two features of the data that we were uh, needed to, to deal with. One was a trend, and then seasonal variation. So can you talk a little bit about 
your findings because you broke this down, I believe, into three different age groups. And the real finding was among the young, the youngest right. group, that 10 to 17 year old group. Yeah. So let me sort of start by saying why we wanted to break it down into the three age groups. The, the background, the sort of the, the suspicions about uh, suicide contagion is that the relationship or the relating to the victim has a bigger impact on people of the same age and gen, same age and gender. So this, the woman, the, the protagonist in the story was a 17 year old woman. And so uh, we wanted to break out the age range so that we could look at those who we thought were the highest at risk, but also looking at these other age ranges provided a potential sensitivity analysis to see whether or not there was maybe something else going on that might be more general affecting the population as a whole, or really was sort of more tailored more uh, to this age group that we thought would be at risk. So the findings was, again, the, the approach was because we had uh, this history of suicide rates by month going back to January uh, 2013, we could model the data and make a prediction as to what we would have expected to see following the release of the series. And as you know, in Netflix, the series gets released completely. So uh, we were looking at the months following it, but particularly we were interested, we saw, uh, wanted to look at the couple months following the release of the series. And so from the model, the statistical model, we had a prediction of what we would have expected to see in April, 2017. And then we had what was we actually observed. And it wasn't really, it's not from a statistics perspective, we also wanted to take into account the variability of the prediction. And so what we found was the observed rate in 20, April 2017 was outside the confidence interval of what the model had predicted. And that was consistent with a spike in the 10 to 17 year old age group. We did not see a spike in the other age groups, uh, 1829 or 30 to 64. So that was pretty much what we had anticipated. So that was one finding. And then looking at the rest of the year from April 2017 through December 2017, we saw a general excess in suicides in this age group uh, across that whole period relative to, again, what would have been expected based on the model. And you, you actually, I don't know what the time period was, but it was about 200 deaths more than what was normal before the before the airing of that show. Correct. And the time period would have been from April 2017 through the end of December 2017. You know, one, one thing that I was when I looked at the time or the, the age intervals that you grouped, I, I thought, you know, that, that it was interesting. You said these are sort of developmental stages that is one of the reasons for doing this. But I was I was curious about going all the way down to 10. Uh, uh, you know, just sort of my my kind of really naive, ignorant perspective on this is I would have thought, you know, maybe a sensitivity analysis would have focused on 13 to 17, not not the, the yeah. very youngest of the, the set. Can you can you sort of help me think through this a little bit? Sure. So we actually had a, a, an earlier paper where we looked at suicide rates in young children uh, as young as oh. 10. Oh, my And goodness. surprisingly, that that paper reported an increase in suicides in that age range. Yes, it was shocking. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I think 
I, so okay. based on that earlier work, we thought we'd use a wide window. Did you happen to see that second study that was done of the second season? There was an article that appeared in Social Science and Medicine, but it was just 18 to 29-year-olds, and it kind of tracked in the second season. They found that the, the number of viewers that quit watching the show experienced more thoughts of suicide, self-harming thoughts than the than the group of viewers who kept with the show the second season. And I think one of the reasons they thought there was more discussion in the show of characters talking about suicide, working through that um, verbally. Yeah. But also it was an 18 to 29 year old group that was tested here, it wasn't 10 to 17. And just sort of commonsensically, you can see that students first dealing with, kids first dealing with suicide thoughts don't know what to do, don't know how to process them, don't know how to talk about them. So I don't know if you'd seen that study, but it seemed kind of very incomplete to me when I yeah. saw that there had been a study of the second season. You know, um, as Rosemary sort of mentioned in her introduction, there's actually been a lot of research on how the media should be presenting events like this, for example, suicides. And and a lot of concern was expressed even before the release of the series. So unfortunately, and, and again, I wasn't involved with any of this, that, that wasn't really followed. And I think in retrospect, based on uh, Netflix, really I, sort of a year later before they released, I think the second episode, second series, actually went back and edited the suicide scene and so I think in re retrospect and reflecting on the results of this study and other studies like it, we realized that that was probably a mistake and that uh, this, there was a better way of, of presenting this event, these events, uh, which were more consistent with, with the guides to media. It's, media scholars are constantly struggling with this issue of finding effects and relationships between content and behavior. Um, and so I wonder if you could talk a, through a little bit about how your your group, your colleagues, and you approached this study, yes. thinking through, because it's really hard to see, you know, the hypodermic needle has been disproven over and over again, but there certainly seems to be research that suggests there are relationships between content and behavior. So maybe you could talk through yeah. what you guys were thinking about as you were sort of putting this study together to make sure you were kind of keeping that kind of stuff in mind. Yeah, that's a really good question and, and a really good point. That is, there's a limitation to this type of research and it's, it has a title, it's called an ecological association. And it's ecological in that we don't know among those kids who committed suicide, whether they even watched the show, mm. right? So we don't have that link. So, and this is a challenge that happens a lot in epidemiology and statistics and in other fields as well as in social sciences. So the best we can do is to show there's an association and then ask the question, could there be other reasons for this association and look at that. So for example, when we looked at these other age ranges and didn't find the effect, that sort of supported the hypothesis that we had put forward. Um, we also did um, another sensitivity analysis, to, uh, which was we looked at homicide rates over this period. And the thought was, well, if there was something secular going on, then perhaps it would have affected, we would have seen a spike in homicide rates as well. And we didn't. So again, we haven't shown causation in any way, but we've been trying to build up a body of evidence that makes a strong case for that association. 
You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with Carnegie Mellon's Joel Greenhouse. So I wanted to follow up on that, something that I think a lot of journalists uh, don't do well, which is explain that connection between causation and association or correlation. And you, in, in the study, you talk, I think that's one of the first things you talk about in the limitations of a study. Is this something that you find when your work is covered? Because I know this study was, I know CNN picked it up and um, probably others. others. Any frustrations you have with the way journalists sort of uh, make this, you know, they're going to tell their own stories to the public and that's how you're going to be seen mostly, right? Through the interpretations that journalists make of your work. Can you talk a little bit about that? So my experience, not necessarily only with this particular study, but when I've actually had a one-on-one with journalists, the ones I've spoken to have been very sensitive to this issue. And um, it, it really wasn't hard. Uh, in fact, usually they were ahead of me in terms of recognizing that uh, we weren't making a causation type claim. What happens after that, I'm not sure. But I think you know this, this, this particular study got a lot of headlines. In fact, I just got a, a, a notice that it was ranked among the top 100 altimetrics. Um, uh, I'm I'm not exactly sure I know what that means. I'm not a social media person, but it sounded like that was really good. Uh, So I really did get out there and it seemed to have struck a chord uh, for many reasons. So when you looked at some of the ways this was covered, was there a particular outrageous headline that really really jumped out at you when when you looked at some of the coverage of your work? Um, No, I, I didn't. I really didn't cover that carefully um okay but the things that i did see in the local pitch i'm in pittsburgh in the local pittsburgh press and a couple of things that are in the national headlines all seem pretty good um oh, good. yeah i i you know i think this was so such a a startling headline anyway that yeah. you didn't really have to uh go out of your way to sure. uh to sensationalize it I thought it was good that Netflix took some steps to edit. I did not know that. I remember how much this series was hyped when it first came out. And I remember watching part of the first episode and I said, I'm not watching the rest of this. Just, it wasn't the kind of story I was interested in, but I was also worried about it because they were talking about, you know, kids that were uh, under 18 and they were gonna be watching this show. So this was not a surprise what you found at all. So in your analyses, what was what was the most sort of surprising result for in the work that you did, the one that ran counter to your expectations prior to, to doing the work? I'm always surprised when the analysis works. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there, there was one aspect to the analysis which was really still a little bit of a puzzle it's kind of interesting, which is the series was released in March, March 31st, the last day in March. But we also, using our model, saw a peak, uh, an increase in suicides in March itself. So before the series was released, and it was actually statistically significant. So that, again, this was taking into account the seasonal variation, took into account the trend. And one thing we hypothesized was that starting at the beginning of March was there there was a trailer for the series promoting it. And I actually, in in preparation for 
uh, this interview, I actually went and found on YouTube that trailer. And it, it, it doesn't show the suicide, but it's pretty graphic about what's going on, what happened. It shows the woman. It shows these men. It, it sort of has ominous music. It's, it's very dark. And, you know, this is not going to be fun. Uh, so we, we hypothesized that perhaps this was a trigger. Um, mm. And it, it's important to remember that this story first appeared as a book, which was on the New York Times bestseller list, mm. maybe 10 years before the uh, Netflix series. And it was very popular. So there were many, many young people who had read it uh, and um, knew the story. And so whatever effect that might have had. This has come up a couple of times, but I'm wondering if you could maybe just explain what it is, this idea of contagion when it comes to suicide. And I know it's something that is also cons that concerns reporters, particularly when it comes to covering mass shootings. Maybe you could take a moment to sort of talk about what that is and maybe given sort of what you know from the scholarship, what might be some best practices for journalists who are covering these things? Because, you know, it's always this tension between what does the public need yeah. to know and then the fear of, you know, are we giving people too much information? So I'm not really an expert on contagion, but uh, my understanding of it is uh, really very much in the same usage as we think of infectious diseases, that there is a, uh, uh, a index case or something happens and then it spreads through the population. And then of course, who's at risk, who is likely to get infected are all you know, questions of interest. My understanding about uh, the presentation in the media of events such as suicide is that um, what you don't want to do is sensationalize it to make the individual look like after they're, after they're dead that they're some sort of hero and that they get all sorts of rewards. Or that what you'd rather do in a more positive way in presenting this would be that there are options other than suicide, that there's a way that you can get help. And I think that's what the critics were trying to suggest in terms of the Netflix series, that, that they could take a different approach, whereas instead of sensationalizing this and, and actually presented it, my understanding, in a much more graphic way than was even in the book that they presented in the mm. series, uh, really sort of did, went against all of the recommendations based on research and experience. If you were going to follow up this study, this, this, uh, this ecological association study if you you know you're saying okay here's here's a bunch of money for you to design and and follow up this with a, yeah. a study what would that look like what what would you do now if you were to, to study this or and maybe in a different program that might induce a, such a yeah that's a good question response. um i think just sticking with this netflix study you know we were looking we had data on completed suicides um we do know that men complete suicides at a higher rate than women it would be really interesting to go back and look at, say, ER records and, and look for, oh. you know, um, uh, self-harm data during this period and do a similar analysis to see if there was an increase in that. I think getting that sort of data along with the suicide rates, if we saw a spike in April, that, that again, we're building up a case that would be fairly compelling, I think. I, I did like this uh you know, as part of the sensitivity analysis that you, you also not only included the other response, this control response being homicide, but also the other age groups where you thought there shouldn't be no, nothing going on. 
but but then you also did some other sensitivity analyses, both including and excluding certain months. I thought that was a that was kind of nice to see. You're kind of you're 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 trying to protect yourself from 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 potholes. So you know, what are how, how did you go through thinking about okay, we need to worry about this one or we need to worry about that one and redo this analysis for this right, concern? I think what you're referring to is uh, in particular this concern about the spike in in March before the uh, series was actually released. And so the way we try to deal with that is in building the model that would, uh, we would use to predict the occurrence of uh, suicides in April. We included March in that model. That was one analysis. And we took March out of that model and use and then so made a built the model without that March 2017 data point in there, uh, so that it would be less influential. And so we did several different analyses by including it, taking it out, maybe making predictions um, based on a model that even sort of backed up a little further, and to see and whether or not the results still held up. I'm wondering if. Uh... You know, there was a big spike. I think there was another study on how many people looked up how to commit suicide on Google. I mean, it went like it was over a million hits, more than usual. And I wonder if that somehow coincided with the, the promotion of the series, that, that people knew it was coming, maybe they read the book. But I was sort of shocked at just the sort of the Google study, uh, how, many, how many kids were online looking on yeah. looking that up so. there's uh there was another study that came out i think after ours but addressing the same question that appeared in jama and they had a, a a sort of an additional analysis where they looked at uh tweets and instagram references to net to this netflix series to 13 reasons why starting in april and they saw a huge spike in the number of uh references to it which then dropped in june which sort of coincides with the sort of drop in the suicide rates. What I would like to have seen is what those uh, rates were prior to April. Yeah. Um, because that would have been really interesting to see again, which might actually have informed us about that March peak, because if we saw a lot of activity mm -hmm. in March on social media, that would have actually sort of supported our, our speculation that, that there was a lot of attention being paid to the series. Well, Joel, that's all the time we oh, have for really? this episode on, of Stats really? and Stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think Richard could probably keep talking to you all day about this, but thank you so much for Thanks being here. Thanks very much for having me. And, and again, thank you guys very much for this series because I think it really contributes a lot to uh, what we're doing and how we understand it. And so we appreciate it. So thanks. Well, thanks oh, thank you, me. Joel. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.